Well, good morning. It's now obvious that today is Palm Sunday. Um, <clears throat> Palm Sunday was a triumphant day where Jesus finally rode on a donkey into Jerusalem in a way that he never had before. He was king. He came as king. They praised him as king. And the praise is often offered to him both by the young and the old was beautiful. Um, in fact, after hearing uh, these children this morning, it's now obvious to me why we don't want to silence the children. Because they spur us on. They uh, lead us in their zeal. And if we want to enter the kingdom of God, we need to become like these children. So thank you, children. Thank you, John Klug and Crystal Laws, for leading them. Well, last week, Pastor Jody Killingsworth preached to us about the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And I want to recap it because it's significant to what I want to preach about this morning. In this parable, the rich man and Lazarus both died. The rich man wasn't given the dignity of having even his name mentioned. He went to Hades to be tormented. While Lazarus, being a poor man, who was not only named, as Pastor Jody mentioned, but also went to heaven and was at Abraham's bosom. The rich man said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. Abraham explained why this was not possible. Then the rich man asked, to have Lazarus sent to his family so that they would believe. To which Abraham responded, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear. Let them hear them. The rich man responded, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. To which Abraham responded, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. And this was the case with the scribes and the Pharisees and all those who rejected Jesus. Both Jesus and a man named Lazarus were actually raised from the dead, yet the Jews were not persuaded. After this parable was told by Jesus, soon before what is known as the triumphal entry, he actually did raise a certain man named Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was the brother of Martha and Mary. Mary, the one who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. After Lazarus died and Mary came to the place where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been there, been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And he wept. Jesus loved Lazarus. He then had the stone which was covering the tomb removed, and he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he obeyed him. 
he was alive again. As a result of this, many of the Jews came to believe in Jesus. And much excitement was building up to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. The news of his miracles, the feeding of thousands, and particularly raising Lazarus from the dead, spread throughout the whole region, which resulted in more and more people following Jesus around because they had believed in him. Large crowds came not only to see Jesus, but also to see Lazarus. For who has ever seen a man that was dead for four days come alive again? Although many of the Jews saw what he had done and believed in him, some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. They ratted him out. It then says in John 11, Therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And from that day on, they planned together to kill him. And now it was the time of year where Jews from all over the country would head to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast, which was a a commemoration of their being set free from slavery in Egypt. And if you remember well, Jesus' parents also would head there once a year to celebrate Passover, as did thousands and thousands of Jews each year. So imagine all the buzz going on. The people in and around Jerusalem were excited about Jesus' miracles, and the fact that he raised a man from the dead was spreading incredibly fast through the whole country. And many were gathering to celebrate the Passover feast, which was just several days away. So now, let's come to our text this morning from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. And please stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the ground, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So the Jews finally got it right. 
they finally acknowledged Jesus as King and Savior. They were shouting in the streets saying, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna to the Son of David. They rejoiced and shouted, praising his name, and it was wonderful. Hosanna is a word that we've heard quite a lot, but we might not necessarily understand its meaning. It's a word of both praise and petition. It's a Greek word that comes from the Hebrew, Hebrew phrase, Hoshiana, which means save now. Ho- Hosanna in the highest as a phrase is probably something like glory to God in the highest. And yet if the word Hosanna has retained any of its meaning, it's also a cry of deliverance. By putting Hosanna, which means save now, and in the highest together, you end up with a statement that is praise and petition. They were giving glory to him while calling on him, the only one who was able to save, saying, Lord, save us. They were also saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is a quotation from Psalm 118. Verse 25 of Psalm 118 says, O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Then the quotation comes from verse 26 of Psalm 118. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And this is exactly what they were doing. Blessing him and praising him. So here the Lord's ministry was at a high point. It was the most public it had ever been. His fame had grown so strong and was rapidly spreading everywhere. Verse 9 of our passage says that the crowds were going ahead of him and following him. They were all around him, glorifying him, laying their coats and branches on the road for Jesus and the animals to walk on. You can imagine that a road in Jerusalem at this time could get quite dusty. A lot of dust would stir up when, when uh, travelers would pass through. But these people were willing to throw their own coats down for Jesus, the disciples, all those who were walking through to walk on. They were willing to have the, the donkeys even walk on them and drop their waists on the clothes. Who would do that? <laughs> and who would they do it for? They did it for Jesus, the king. They honored him. They gave up the very clothes from off their backs for him. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, he was fulfilling the prophecy that was foretold by the prophet Zechariah. Verses 4 and 5 quote Zechariah 9 saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Now Jesus' entire ministry was spent going around by foot, laboring over souls, doing miracles, being harassed by the Pharisees, experiencing all the pains and struggles that we experience, tiredness, hunger. And the only time mentioned in the Gospels where he rides in style, it was bittersweet. 
It was sweet because he was finally being acknowledged as, as king, who he was. And yet, Jesus entered into the city knowing exactly what would happen to him. He was entering Jerusalem where he would suffer and finally die a terrible death. And so finally he comes to Jerusalem to be lauded as king, and yet they crowned him with thorns and then nailed him to the cross. They lifted him up only to die. And that was his glory. He humbled himself to accomplish salvation for us because of our sins. He put on flesh and became a creature of clay. His entire earthly life was one extraordinary act of humility. Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, came down from heaven and was made man. That very act of becoming a man and everything that followed was out of his great love for us and his desire for all men to come to him. And so finally he died and rose again to redeem a people for himself. He's our savior and our king. In the account of the triumphal entry in the Gospel of John, Scripture says that the disciples didn't understand why these things took place. It likely bewildered them that Jesus told them to untie someone else's donkey and colt and bring them to him. And yet, as strange as the request was, they obeyed. And Scripture says that it was not until Jesus was glorified that they remembered that these things were written of him. These were the things they had studied from the Hebrew Scriptures. They recalled the Scripture from Isaiah 62.11 that says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Lo, your salvation comes. And they remembered, as Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so in hindsight, it made perfect sense. That was exactly what happened. He came as king. The people shouted and rejoiced in triumph. He was humble and on a donkey, bringing salvation. But it might seem strange to us, what kind of king rides on a donkey? Well, actually, in our modern Western culture, we really don't understand all that much about agriculture. And it sounds silly to say, but we look down on donkeys, right? Do you? I do. I don't think they're all that special, especially for riding on them. Well, so why do we look down on donkeys? Well, they're small and they're not horses, you know? We really just like horses and not donkeys, They make awful noises, kind of squawking, very undignified, whereas a horse has a mighty neigh. Well, in the East, donkeys were a sign of prosperity and wealth. And they were actually animals that kings would ride on. It was not uncommon. 
In fact, King David's son, Solomon, he rode on a mule on his way to be anointed as king. Now, a mule is really just, what, a hybrid, right? Part horse, part donkey. I like to think of it as a cross between a tractor and a motorcycle. Well, ironically or providentially, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the people were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Well, who was the son of David? Solomon, right? And so here we have a beautiful parallelism from Scripture. And King Solomon even foreshadowed Christ. The people of Jerusalem were hailing Jesus as king, and there was nothing shameful about the fact that he was riding a donkey. It was not something they would laugh at or scoff at. However, the fact that he was riding a donkey and the way in which he rode signaled what kind of a king he was and what kind of a kingdom he was ruling over. So what kind of a king was he? Well, in riding a donkey, he signaled that he was a peaceful king. He was approachable. He was humble. He was gentle, as the scripture says. It's very different from a horse. You'd be a little afraid to approach a horse, right? You want to make sure you come at it just the right way, and is it going to buck? What's it going to do? Now, just a moment ago, I quoted to you from Zechariah 9.9, where the prophecy in today's lesson comes from. But here is what follows in Zechariah 9.10. It says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. And the bow of war will be cut off, and he will speak peace to the nations. And his dominion will be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. You see why he was riding a donkey? He came to speak peace. And as Pastor Stephen Baker says, we're after world domination here, right? But not by swords. Not by bows, not by horses and chariots, but rather by speaking peace to the nations. Romans 10, 14 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? God's peace will spread to the nations by the preaching of his word. That's what speaking peace is. There's a wonderful choral piece from Mendelssohn's oratorio called St. Paul, which says, How lovely are the messengers that preach us the gospel of peace. From Romans 10:15. His gospel is peace. And this is the word I am bringing to you now. Receive peace from him. Surrender to him. The Lord is ready to receive you. Believe in him and have peace. Turn away from your sin. Be received by the Lord and have peace. Are you discontent? He will give you peace. Are you dissatisfied? Be satisfied in him. Don't spend your money on things that aren't bread. Come, buy and eat. Without any money and feast, 
on him, the living bread, and be satisfied by Jesus Christ. He is ready to receive you, and he will give rest to your weary souls. So it makes perfect sense that he rode on a donkey. He is an approachable king. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, come. He said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And he came. And now he is calling you to come, to surrender. He says, cease striving and know that I am God. So here's the contrast between the donkey and the horse. God is being very patient with you so that you will repent of your sin. He comes to you gentle and mounted on a donkey. But later, he will come to judge the earth riding on his white war horse. And when he comes, he will judge and wage war. And as Revelation 19 says, from his mouth will come a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is a king whose side You want to be on. You don't want to be caught on the wrong side. Now the Jews, they didn't want the peaceful king on a donkey. They wanted the valiant king on a white horse who would overtake the nations. But actually they didn't. Those who don't repent of their sin don't want a king who is executing judgment. They thought they wanted that king, but they really didn't. When that king, Jesus, comes in judgment, who will be able to stand? Who will be saved from the eternal hell? Only those who are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. So the Jews didn't want the peaceful king and they certainly didn't want the warrior king. And when they figured out that Jesus wasn't the man they wanted, they killed him. They didn't want a spiritual peaceful king. They wanted to be rich. They wanted to have a good easy life. They wanted better government. They had earthly temporal expectations. When they realized that Jesus would not fulfill all their hopes and dreams. They utterly rejected him to the point of death only days after they had just praised him, saying, Hosanna in the highest. They weren't weren't willing to repent of their sin and turn to him by faith. But it wasn't that he was incapable of being the kind of king that they wanted. For if he had willed it, he could have had brigades of soldiers come to his aid. And he could have conquered cities and nations. He could have had the greatest dynasty ever. He could have ruled 
the entire earthly world. He could have set Israel free from the Romans, which I think is what they really wanted. And this is what they were hoping for with Jesus. They were looking for a political temporal king who would relieve them of their temporal burdens. Not a spiritual one who would relieve them of the eternal burden of hell. And we have to see ourselves in this. They are people just like us. If we knew that the Messiah was coming to this nation to rule as king, would we welcome him? Perhaps politically. We would say, finally, someone who will rule us with integrity. Someone who will do away with this great wickedness in our land. But when he would call us to receive him by faith, to humble ourselves, to sell all that we have and give to the poor, and to put to death the deeds of our flesh, to repent of our sin, then what would we do? Would we still receive him? Or would we reject him because things got hard? Because after all, to be a Christian is to take up your cross and follow him. It's hard. Why do we think that we would be any different from the Jews? One moment we're shouting, Hosanna in the highest as we worship him. And just days later we turn our backs on him. When we're at the university, when we're at the playground, when we're at Crane or Walmart, or with our neighbors, we don't proclaim his name. Just like the Jews and all those who gathered, gathered for the Passover welcomed him as king, praising him with joyful shouting, so did they shout with even greater fervor, crucify him, crucify him. His blood be on us and on our children. Crucify him. And Jesus, knowing their hearts and knowing this was coming, as he was entering into Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. It must have been a difficult day when he was riding on that donkey, hearing those praises and knowing exactly what would happen to him. And Luke nineteen forty-one and following says this, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known of this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come, the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. They didn't recognize the time of their visitation. They were visited by God himself, the Prince of Peace. He was right in front of them, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. 
yet they didn't recognize the time of their visitation. And this is us. This is the church. This is America. And so what did this mean for them? It meant finally that they were judged. The, the city, Jerusalem, was destroyed with them and their children in it. And that judgment that happened in 70 AD is a type of the final judgment, as it says in Matthew 25, when the Son of Man will come in His glory and all the angels with Him. Then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him. And He will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Brothers and sisters, the time of your visitation is right now. Don't be like the five virgins who didn't have oil in their lamps and missed the bridegroom because they had gone out to get some oil. Don't miss the lifeboat, the ark, that will save you from destruction. Don't despise the Redeemer who has been revealed to you to save you from your sin as the Jews despised him. Scripture says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is still near. Now is the day of salvation. Did you catch that? Now is the day of salvation. It doesn't say today. It says now. Make him your savior and king. Call on him to be Lord and master of your heart. Say to him, do with me what you will. I'm yours and no others. And be washed by his blood. Be part of his kingdom. His kingdom which is like no other. A kingdom where the poorest man from the west side of Bloomington who loves Christ, yet lives in poverty, becomes the nobility of his kingdom. Or where the humblest woman who gets her hair dirty by washing Jesus' feet and accepts him, submits to him, takes him as her savior, her teacher, becomes the nobility of his kingdom, waiting on him and serving him. It is the kingdom that makes Painters, truck drivers, homeless people, school teachers, people on welfare, Papa John's workers, stay-at-home moms, to be nobles, their royalty. That is a kingdom unlike any other. The homeless become princes who live in his courts. 
the children become the mouthpiece of his praises. Mothers are honored, and there is no longer a barren woman because her children are the ones whom she mentored and discipled into the faith of Christ. Those are her children. And this is now, all of this is now. The people of God are the inheritors of his kingdom. And everyone is sharing all things with one another because we are brothers and sisters of that same kingdom. This is the kingdom that God calls us to be a part of. A kingdom where instead of rolling out the red carpet, garments from off the backs of the people were laid upon the ground. Instead of saddles on the backs of the donkey and colt, coats were laid upon them. It's a kingdom where palm branches were carried instead of swords. It was a peaceful kingdom. A kingdom where all his servants are royalty. A kingdom where laws aren't written on paper. But instead, they're written upon the heart, molding a believer to obedience. It's that powerful. A kingdom where the word of God is her weapon, which is living and active and sharper than any any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is the kingdom where the word of God sets captives free. The word of God. So what are you going to do? Are you going to reject his kingdom? Are you going to reject Jesus and his kingdom? Humble yourself before him. Confess your sin. Repent and believe in the good news that Jesus has died and risen from the dead to save you from your sin. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. But maybe you say, I already repented and I do believe. To which I say with Martin Luther, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Every day we need to turn to him by faith and repent of our sin. Not just a one-time event of praying the sinner's prayer. But it's a daily work, a daily struggle. We need to continually turn and repent of our sins. Not just Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, throughout the day. Repent, turn to him, come to him by faith. He will receive you. He will give rest to your weary soul. He will give you peace. He is your Savior and King. Hosanna to the Son of David. Say it with me. 
Hosanna to the son of David. One more, louder. Hosanna to the son of David. He is your king. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. You know what that means? Is that if you don't bow to him now, you will bow to him later. And if you wait, you will be condemned to hell. For he is the eternal king. The great judge. He is the king from whom all kings get their name. Behold your king. Make him your king now. And be received into his kingdom. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly father. You have been patient with us. And we thank you. We praise you for your son, our king, Jesus. We thank you that he is an approachable king. Though he is holy and perfect, and though we are full of sin, he is a friend of sinners like us. Lord, we are sinners in need of a Savior. Save us now, we beseech you. Give us true repentance And cause us to walk in your ways all of our days. So that finally when we approach your judgment seat. You will say well done good and faithful servant. Receive us into your kingdom. And write your laws upon our hearts. So that we will be molded into your will. Father grant us the strength by your grace. To obey you now. In the name of our King and Savior Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.